HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Square. If you run a restaurant or business, Square has the tools to help you stay connected to customers, shift your business, and navigate this uniquely challenging time. Learn more at square.com slash go slash speaking broadly. Hello, this is Dana Cowan, and you're listening to Speaking Broadly on Heritage Radio Network. A while ago, before COVID, I interviewed an incredible pair, Eliza Lohr, who's executive director of the Food Education Fund of Food and Finance High School in New York City, and Gabby Womack, who's a student at the school. Since we recorded that in the pre-COVID times, I wanted to check in with Eliza and hear how things were going before I treat all of you to a very special interview with the two of them. So Eliza, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So when we were talking a couple of months ago, we were talking about the opportunities that a school that's focused on culinary education offers students and the challenges that some of those students face. And now in the wake of COVID and the massive changes in the restaurant industry that these kids were preparing for, I'm wondering, first of all, how has their education changed when they've gone from having hands-on classes at school to being at home and trying to learn remotely? I mean, so as you can imagine, just everything has changed for these students. For school, all of their classes moved to an online format, which has been really challenging because a lot of kids don't have devices, might be sharing devices, might live in a one-bedroom apartment with many other siblings. But they have really done an incredible job keeping up with their schoolwork. They're doing a lot of really exciting projects and really stepping up to the plate and doing amazing work, creating amazing cooking videos through such an incredibly hard time. I've loved watching them on Instagram Live. So they're teaching, like these kids who were taking classes are now teaching others online, which is such a smart pivot and they must learn so much sort of going through that that process of trying to teach other people to cook. I have been amazed at what naturals they are. I think so many adults have <laughs> such a hard time doing cooking demos and we have 14 year olds that we honestly give very little training to that just hop on there, introduce themselves, talk about what they're doing, and then do a 40-minute cooking demo that has tons and tons of followers, way more than we got when it was us adults running it. (laughs) And sometimes they have an assist from their parents. Yeah, we just had one on Tuesday that was one of our students, Maria, um, and her dad was actually the executive chef for Chef Bill Yassis, the White House chef. So that was a, an adorable and really cool one because Maria's dad was kind of teaching Maria as Maria was 
translating that out to our followers, which I love seeing things like that. And that type of thing, I guess it was possible before all of this, but it's something that we've realized the, the power of. So when you think about the shape of their future, does that change the way you think about the education, the way that Food Education Fund can help shape their career? Absolutely. And it's just such a sad and unknown future, honestly. I think with the restaurant industry struggling so much, we're trying to think about how we can support the industry that I think was really struggling so much before this with it being really hard to raise prices on menus, but labor costs and other costs going up. I think the industry was at kind of a breaking point before such a huge crisis. So we're trying to figure out how we can make sure that that industry is as strong as possible coming out of this. Because we have students that have been working so hard to be able to join this industry that they love. And so we're, we're thinking about that, of how we can strengthen the industry. We're thinking about other possible careers within the culinary industry. And we're also trying to just ask the kids of what they're excited about, what they want to learn about, and how we can best prepare them for a future that will look very different from anything any of us imagined. And when you have students who are just heartbroken, right? They thought they were on a path and now that path has been diverted. What advice are you giving them? We're telling them to keep engaged with the world right now. So things like those Instagram lives, um, I think have kind of put some of the students on the map and they're starting to be able to network in ways that they weren't able to as easily before. And I think that will be really helpful for them after all of this to be able to have those connections and build their careers. We're also telling them to keep an eye on what people are saying the future of the restaurant industry might look like. So a lot of people are saying that tech is probably going to play a much bigger role in that. So how can our students prepare and how can we prepare them for a world that includes a lot more tech in the restaurant industry, which is honestly pretty new for an industry that is pretty tech illiterate (laughs) overall. And the student population at Food and Finance High School uh, is from all over the city and from uh, diverse backgrounds, but there's a lot of hunger in that community. How have you been approaching the hunger problem within the students? Yeah, so the day that we found out that restaurants would be closing was the same day that we found out schools would be closing. So the first thing we did was try to kind of pair the food from restaurants with the students of public school families. Uh, But we quickly learned in talking to the students that they're going to need a lot more than that and that a lot of them weren't able to leave their houses. We've had about 15% of our students since the beginning have either been sick or somebody in their family has been sick, which means that it's probably closer to kind of 50% overall. So we have been working with our board member, Questlev, who has raised lots of funds to do food distribution. And with the help of our partners, Ace Endico, Colavita, Dig, Fresh & Co, Goya, HelloFresh, and Just, and I'm sure there are many more that I'm not thinking of, we were able to distribute over 280,000 meals to 800 families, which was totally new for us. That is not what we do and was a big learning curve, but it has been just so needed in talking to the families. Well, you've done an amazing job. And what I will say and what people will hear when they listen to the interview that, that had been recorded, there are extraordinary kids that 
go to the school. And with your help, I know that they're going to figure it out and they'll have the best support that they possibly can have. So Liza, thank you for joining me for this quick update. And for those of you who are listening, I hope you enjoy this conversation between a brilliant educator and a brilliant student. Thank you for all of your support and everything you've done for our students, Dana. This is Dana Cowan, and you are listening to Speaking Broadly on Heritage Radio Network. Each week, I interview people who inspire me and who, in my mind, are bringing about the future of food. And today, I have two very special guests who are indeed the future of food. I have Eliza Lohr, who's the executive director of the Food Education Fund at Food and Finance High School in New York City. And full disclosure, I am a huge fan of the school and I'm on the board. One of the reasons that I'm on the board is because the students are so incredible. And we have a student with us today, Gabby Womack. Welcome, Gabby. Welcome, Eliza. Eliza, I'm going to start with you. You have such a fantastic background in food and education. And you chose to bring your passion to this school. Why did you do that? So actually back in 2013, I was an intern at Heritage Radio Network doing different stories about food news. And I was I was just telling Gabby this. Somehow when I got the internship, I didn't even realize that I was going to be on mic. What I loved about it was the ability to go out and the microphone really giving me the, the permission to ask questions that I at the time wouldn't have had the confidence to ask, didn't have the reason to ask. So I really took advantage of that part of the internship and started to get to know so many different people in the food world. At the time, I was actually cooking at a restaurant five days a week and my two days off were with Heritage Radio Network. And I was with my culinary background, I was kind of thinking about how I wanted to use that in a way that maybe wasn't in the kitchen, but was working more with kind of the fabric of New York City and thinking about what about food was important to me. I realized after working with third to fifth graders teaching culinary, but kind of focusing on nutrition and fighting obesity, I realized that as important as nutrition is, that's not really where my heart is. And what I love about the kitchen was that walking into it with privilege was actually a negative. And that if you show up on time and you work your way up, you can really go so far with culinary in a place that just having a network from working rather than from where you grew up or who you know was what was really important. I was also at the same time finding out about all of the different themed high schools in New York City. So through Heritage Radio Network, I did a story about the Harbor School in Governor's Island, which is an amazing high school. But I was thinking about how can I take what I love about food and and kind of impact New York. And I was like, one day I want to start a culinary public high school with an internship program and an aquaponic program. And I was telling everybody that. And finally, um, somebody from the Harbor School was like, you know, that exists, right? And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? Um, and I was actually on the ferry ride home and I went to the website and I went to the little contact us in the corner. And I was like, how can I help? I can cook. I was trying to learn graphic design at the time. I was like, I can do events. And the board chair, Nan Shipley, called me literally probably three minutes later while I was also on the ferry and said like, great, (laughs) 
can you design our gala invite? Can you come and work with the kids for this event? And that was back in 2014, actually, I think. Um, so I was like, absolutely. So on top of the seven days a week of being at Heritage Radio Network and working in the restaurant, I was also doing whatever I could with food and finance because I went in toward the school and met the students and fell in love with this school and started to learn more about Food Education Fund, which is the nonprofit that supports food and finance high school. And so Nan worked with me. She actually helped me get another job at the last nonprofit that I was at. So I kind of worked alongside the school and the nonprofit for a few years. And in 2017, she asked me to come back. And now I'm the executive director of Food Education Fund. But it's funny. I think the students think we're all teachers because our office is in the basement. So the nonprofit <laughs> is so embedded in the, in the school. I run the, the big picture of the nonprofit, but I also get to work really closely with the students um, running the job training and internship program and lots more. So, Gabby, the Food Education Fund gives you access to, depending on who the person is in class, but scholarship, internship, externship. But the school is all about culinary. Yeah. Did you get to choose it? Because actually, I, I know that at um, Food and Finance High School, 30% of the kids, like, they're, they were just dying to be there. Are you one of that 30% of the kids? Um, I would 100% say I'm one of those kids because um, I've always been used to uh, cooking in the kitchen, and I really fell in love with cooking and stuff like that. It started in middle school when um, I took a program. It was something small. It wasn't, like, extreme. We had literally, like, two hot plates and we were just making like omelets and like you know regular rice and I never really thought of it like anything like a job or anything or like a career and um, my teacher was always telling me like you know you should take this far like you know you could take it as a job a career or something like really you're passionate about and I was like yeah sure I could do that and you know at at the time in middle school, like I didn't know what I wanted to do at all. Everyone wanted to be a dancer, they wanted to play drums, or they wanted to do that. And I still was like, by eighth grade, I still didn't know what high school I wanted to go to, what career path I wanted to pick. I didn't know anything. And, did you um, did you feel like by eighth grade you should have known? Because I'm sixty, <laughs> oh, yeah. almost, and I feel like it's okay for me. I, I mean, like everyone tells you you're supposed to have it already planned out, and um. My mom sit, sat me down and was like, you know, you could take culinary really far. And, you know, it could lead you to a lot of places that I can't bring you, but I know you can do it yourself if you put yourself through it. Your mom likes to cook, right? She yeah. loves cooking. My mom, my grandma and my mom love cooking, you know. Um, what do um, they cook? Uh, we're, we're all Puerto Rican. So everything is either fresh or like, if it's not fresh, we're not making it. But your mother encouraged you to cook in the kitchen. Yeah, um, she was a big impact because when I was, it was time to pick high schools, she took the high school book like it was like a holy Bible. She went through every single page. She was looking for like the most top culinary schools in New York. And we really couldn't find any, like it was really like three. and. The two that had culinary programs were like small little programs that really didn't base on culinary. But my main one was food and finance. As soon as my mom found that, I was like, Ma, you don't got to put any other school. Just put that school. And we did like three tours to that school. We did every single orientation. We talked to the <laughs> principal. My mom was like, you know, um, you got to like put my daughter in this school. Like <laughs> she was really trying to get me out there. It was hard for her because she's so used to me being, like, across the street. Um, at, at your middle school? Yeah, my elementary school and middle school were literally across the street. So she was so used to that, and she it really took a toll on her. And how long does it take you to get from home to school? 
um about an hour and 40 to get to school um that's so long it changed when i was in senior year because my mom started driving me to the train but other than that when i take the bus home well i have to walk to the bus i take the bus and then i walk a little bit and i take the three and then i take a c train and then i walk to school You're smiling. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is like, it's airwaves, but I'm just telling you, Gabby's sitting here with a huge grin on your face, which I guess <laughs> shows how much you like school. Uh, yeah, every day, 5.30, no later. Uh, I'd be out the house by like 6 o'clock. And what time do you get home? Well, I just started working, so I get home at like 8.30. And uh, what kind of work are you doing? I work at Shake Shack. <laughs> um, I got my job through an internship program at school. It was like the best thing ever. So Eliza, tell me about the internship programs at Food and Finance. Sure. So just some background quickly. So the students take an hour and a half of culinary baking or pastry every day, freshman year through junior year. And then their senior year, they do the food education fund job training and internship program. So it's they basically have half a day of school and then half the day they go out and are hired directly by employers after they do a, a pretty extensive job training program where it's we do resume and interview. But we also talk about how to get along with your coworkers and how to deal with harassment in the workplace. It's a pretty kind of real life class of, of what yeah. part what I wish I learned, but a lot of what the students have asked for. So when I started, I had like a social media class and a nutrition class. And after asking the students what they're most interested in, they're like, we don't really want to learn that right now, but can you talk about anger management? Can you talk about drug use in the kitchen? Can you talk yep. about taxes, financial literacy? Can you talk about paychecks, scholarships, financial aid? So they really like the real life, tell me how to live my life because I'm about to go out into that industry or already are working. And Gabby's had two jobs already. Yeah. We brought in interviewers to come and meet the students. Within 48 hours, Gabby, I think, had four job offers. <laughs> Everybody was like, is Gabby still available? And I was like, I'm sorry, she's she has a lot of offers. She's trying to figure it out. <laughs> it was stressful because, like, everybody wanted me. I'm, I'm glad that I had an impact like that. Every time I had the interview, like, I either made them laugh or I just, like, asked them questions or I tried to relate to them, make them feel as comfortable as possible. You don't want to make it seem like an interview. So did you learn that in the class or just that's who you are and you're always worrying about making people comfortable yeah I mean freshman year I wasn't like that I would say Eliza did take us all under the wing because like I didn't know anything how to professionally like really talk to somebody because you know you can't just be like yo what's up like I'm trying to get the job (laughs) no you have to like really speak to them and know your research and know what you're talking about and know what position you want to be in this job or know what this company brings, what they what they serve. Of the anger management and harassment, what are some of the lessons that you took away from that? Like what was most meaningful to you in the training towards getting these jobs? The whole lesson altogether was really meaningful because first of all, when it comes to like taking out a loan or like credit cards or like taxes or like background checks or stuff like that like I don't know nothing about that I just know to get money and get a job but they really taught us how to do everything like and like as the sexual harassment and stuff like that it was really shocking to know like the little things that you don't think are sexual harassment but are or what's an example of that like they gave us scenarios in, in class it was like a scenario with a, a lady it was different things that she was it was happening in the kitchen and she didn't really think of much of it but like it really did impact her like the guys hitting on her or like 
she would try to get some something fresh from the kitchen and she would have to do something extra or try to act flirty just to get something that she wanted in the kitchen so like that's not something that you want to be in a workspace with that so i just want to point out that that lady is it's an article by aaron fairbanks who Mm -hmm. is the executive director of heritage radio network um back when i was here and she wrote this amazing article about being a woman in the kitchen and all of the different roles that she kind of had to play and didn't realize that. And the reason we read that is when I read that, it was so eye-opening to me. I, I, I had no idea that any of those things weren't what I should be expecting from the workplace. And it's great that Food Education Run does that. And what about the finance part of it? The financial part of adulting is very important. So you said that you understood, like, you make money, you save or spend it. But what did you learn sort of in those classes that helped you think about it differently. See, like, from a kid's eye, you think of finances like, oh, my mom's just paying bills. You never really look at the backstory of, like, the times where your mom really struggled with bills and stuff like that or the extra expenses. And I learned that through the training. So it's like when you do get money, it's best to save it or give it to somebody who actually does need it. And when you talk about saving it for yourself or giving it to someone else who needs it, Do you have a a sense of sort of the needs outside of the community that you're in? Yeah, I've been in Girl Scouts uh, since, like, I was, like, little baby. So I've always thought about, like, always looking back at my community. So when I do have times, you know, I do give it to Girl Scouts to help out. And um, we do do, like, going to the shelters and collecting cans and toys for tots and stuff like that. Well, with that, we're going to take a quick break and uh, we'll be back. This episode is brought to you by Square. We all know that this is an incredibly challenging time for our friends running restaurants and small food businesses. With social distancing in place, people are staying home and eating in, and restaurants have had to pivot to pickup and delivery only. HRN would usually be recording our podcast from our studio inside Roberta's, but since they've had to close their dining room, they've ramped up their frozen pizza production, set up a wine and grocery shop, and seen their delivery orders skyrocket. Like Roberta's, many restaurants have been changing offerings day by day as they figure out how to best serve their customers. If you run a restaurant or small business, Square has the tools to help you adapt. One of these tools is the Square online store. It lets you set up a free online ordering page with curbside pickup and local delivery so you can keep customers safe. You can deliver orders yourself or integrate with delivery partners. Its order hub lets you manage all your incoming orders in one place, no matter which delivery partners you choose to use. Square has all the tools to help you stay connected to customers no matter where they are. See everything that's available by visiting square.com slash go slash speaking broadly. Welcome back to Speaking Broadly. I'm so excited to be here with my extraordinary guests, Eliza and Gabby, the executive director of the Food Education Fund, and Gabby, who's a senior at uh, Food and Finance High School in Manhattan. So, Eliza, I'm curious. We know that another part of what Food Education Fund does is help prepare for jobs in culinary And there's so many jobs. When you think about the breadth of things that these kids can do, like what are some of the things that you feel like you're preparing them for? So when I started, I was I was actually pretty surprised that um, some of the students that had been kind of the most involved still couldn't tell you what other career opportunities there were in food. If I said like, what else is there other than culinary? They were like, pastry. 
like, what else? I guess like front of house, but that was kind of it. So we kind of made it our mission to make sure that they understood and had access to a network of people in all of the different ways that they can take food. One, so that they can understand that their culinary background, going to food and finance high school is an asset to them no matter what they want to go to rather than a distraction. So Dana just came for a tour and met so many students that were saying like, I want to be a food writer. I want to be a food scientist. I want to do all these other things that I think even just a few years ago, they might not have known that those existed. And now a big part of what we do is bring people in to meet with the students and work with the students. It's had 1,200 people since September have come in to meet the students, work with the students. So Gabby has probably met, well, like, at least 50 <laughs> different people in her time. So building their own network so that they can kind of make those career moves themselves. Anytime I get time to talk to anybody new, any stranger, like at any event or anything that we're doing at the school, I like sit down and try to like understand them. Like it really opens up my eye and like really like inspires me. Oh, if he could do it, then like this is like a piece of cake. <laughs> so, you know. Who came to the school who really uh, ex- got you excited? Tom Felicchio. Not because I saw him on TV, but because I met him on the train station. And, um, you met him at the train station? Yeah, he was on the train. The funny thing is I didn't recognize him at the first time because I, he sat next to me and I'm like, he looks so familiar. Like, I feel like I know him. I'm like, um, you look really familiar. Did you ever like network at my school or something? And he's like, um, you might have saw me like on TV or something. <laughs> I'm Tom Calicchio. I'm like, get out. So I'm like texting my mom secretly. I'm like, yo, guess who I met? <laughs> But we had a great time, and he was just, like, telling me everything. He was like, you're going to go places, kid, bro. Anyone else who's come through? Uh, A lot of women who come to the school, like, work with, like, the media side of, like, food. Or, like, they have little businesses outside. Oh, like, Haley Meyer. I love her. I like her. She's amazing. That's, like, she's, like, a god. Like, she's really nice. She did, like, a visiting chef at our school. And um, she showed, like, different ice cream. And that was when she was still working with Little Cupcake Big Shop. And um, she was like, oh, I'm going to start ice cream. And from there, like, I loved her. So it's like, when we see each other, we always, like, connect and stuff like that. Like, we always talk. She's always told me, like, whenever you're ready to be done with that Shake Shack, come to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you know, that, like, your dad owns that. She's like, girl, I don't care. <laughs> but it's so great that, like, I have a connection with people like that, you know. So, so so just for those listening, Haley Meyer started an ice cream shop called Cafe Panna, mm-hmm. and her father is Danny Meyer yes. from Union Square Hospitality. So um, that's really funny because you're working for yeah, Shake Shack, was- which is owned by Union Square. What are you doing at Shake Shack? Um, well, <laughs> they have me doing a lot of different things. Um, I've been going on there working now for five months now, and I love it. Everyone has become like a little family with me. They call me sometimes like their shack baby. <laughs> It's so funny because I'm the youngest one there. So it's like everyone's either 18 or they have kids or they're like married or whatever. But um, everyone's been super nice to me. Like if I need any help, like I really don't know what to do. They'll be like, stop what you're doing. Let me help you. Let me show you. Or let me do this for you. Like do you need to work at another station so you could work faster, you know? They've always questioned me in the kitchen. I love that about Shake Shack. One thing I love about um, Gabby's job is that it actually came to us through one of our alums, Humberto. 
um, who came and was just so dedicated to hiring a food and finance student. And when I first checked in with Gabby, I was like, how's your job? And she was like, it's great. Every single day, Humberto checks in with me, asks me if I learned something, make sure I'm doing well. And to me, that's the best possible type of internship we could have of alumni that know exactly what the students are going through right now, making sure that they are learning. And luckily, we have so many internships like that. Is it exhausting? I mean, your day is very long. It's either stay up really late or do on the train. I try to find time for myself the weekends or, you know, I ask my teacher, like, I explain to them what's happening and they'll give me a break. So um, I always have my stuff on time. And for now, I've been in, on honor roll since in freshman year. I just joined National Honor Society. My average right now is a 91. <laughs> and I'm really doing good. I'm trying to keep it up there so I can get all my, you know, accolades when I go to college and they see how hard I worked. So, uh, Eliza, do you want to talk about the full education at high school because it's not all culinary like they do an hour and a half culinary but then there's all the regular classes so that's actually probably one of my favorite things about food and finance high school is that it's not back in the day they called it vocational and the connotation of that was a trade instead of academic and it's been rebranded as cte career and technical education because it's really a trade on top of academics it's full academic program. So they take English, math, science. We also have food writing and we have food science. So a lot of that's tied back in with culinary on top. So it's it's really the kids that want to go above and beyond and learn all of what they need to. And they take all of their regents exams, but also they graduate not only with the skills to get a job, but with so many different jobs on their resume. So they start working usually kind of right when they turn 16. And a lot of them are working alongside school the entire time. So I think Gabby will probably keep working at Shake Shack even after the internship when she doesn't even have the half day. So I think the the ability to have not only the career training, but that hands-on experience, both in the school with, we have a student-run cafe at the school called School Grounds Cafe. We have a twice a week restaurant. So we really try to make everything as experiential as possible. So talking about what comes after senior year, because you're a senior, Gabby, um, and you, you just said that you want to go to college. Like, what's the percentage of kids who go to college versus go s- straight to work? The average graduation rate is about 90%, and about 95% of those students go to college or culinary school afterwards, which is amazing and much higher than the citywide rate. And so for Food Education Fund, our goal for students is always going into college, which is kind of a a debate in the world of do you need to go to college in order to work in this industry? And the answer is no, you don't need to go to college to work in this industry, but our goal for the students is always to be able to progress and rise up the ranks wherever they want to go. So we kind of don't define success for them. But so our goal is to have them all go to college fully paid for if we can. So we have a scholarship program. We connect them to lots of different scholarship programs. So since they're in their sophomore year, we're probably talking about scholarships and how to make that happen for wherever they want to go with their lives. And so, Gabby, we're in the the beginning of the calendar year, but the middle of the school year. Do you know where you want to go to school next year? Of course I do. (laughs) My dream school is CIA. Which is Culinary Institute of America. Yes. In Hyde Park, I imagine you want to go stay in New York State? Yes. It's still a travel from my house because it's like four hours probably. It is going to be hard because it's about the money too. So um, that's why I signed up to do a lot of the competitions like and I, I, I sat down with my college advisor and like I was like, hey, listen, run me up for everything. Like, sign me up for anything. Like, I'll do it. So you're trying to line up money for a scholarship with the dream of CIA? Yes. 
What's the biggest dream you have about your life in the future? Well, when I finish high school, I want to hopefully go to CIA and graduate with my bachelor's degree. And um, from there, I would start a little job so I could build up my money. But I want to become a private chef or I want to own a branch wide of restaurants in my name. Called Gabby. Yeah. Great. (laughs) Now... Some people go to food and finance high school and they don't have the same sort of passion about food. For those kids, Eliza, what benefit can the food education fund bring them? So the way that we talk about um, our work with food, because it's kind of been a conversation as the nonprofit grows of, of why food. And I think for us, food is really the vehicle to be able to prepare them for their lives. So I think those skills are so transferable and learning hard work and learning to be humble and learning to work with people from all different backgrounds and that have such different stories that are probably working harder than you in the kitchen. And they may have so many kids at home that they're feeding and they may not have somebody else with them that's providing for those kids. And it just, I think, inspires you to, to work so hard and to not make excuses and to follow through with whatever you need to do. And I, I know I bring that to every single day of any job I've had. You've seen a wide variety of kids who come from all over New York, Abby. You're from Canarsie. I don't know if you travel some of the farthest, but kids come from Staten Island. They come from the Rockaways. Yes. And they come from, like, a variety of different circumstances. Uh, Some kids come to the school because they think they're going to be fed, like they're hungry at home. What insight has the school given you into, like, how people are living in New York? So one of the things that I love about um, doing the internship program is meeting with the students every single week to check in on, in theory, it's supposed to be checking in on their jobs, but it always ends up being checking in on their lives. And I have been so shocked, honestly, to learn so many of the the different backstories of students that I would never know of what their backstory was because they're in high school and it's you know, they want to be normal and they want to fit in, they want to be a part of things. So until that shows up in other ways in their lives, it's not something that you would know about them, which I also think is beautiful. Of Students don't have to wear that if they don't want to, and they can just be the excited high school student. But I've I've had students that were so excited about a job for two years and they finally got the job and they didn't show up on their first day of work. And what that opened up was a history of sexual harassment at an old place that they didn't realize how that affected them. And it was an all-male kitchen and they just got scared and froze. But being able to sit down and talk about that and talk about how that affected them, that student is still at that restaurant two years later because we were able to work through that. But I would never have known any of that about the students. And sometimes I like not knowing. And again, because I I want them to be able to show whoever they want to, to the world. And what other things have surprised you or saddened you? Well, I would, well, I would say like, even for myself, like most of the kids, we, some of us come from hard backgrounds and we don't live in the fanciest places or we don't have the best opportunities. So for us to get an opportunity like food and finance, we take it like like a golden ticket, you know what I mean? Like some of us don't have the opportunities to even step out of Brooklyn. Like there's a lot of kids that I know are still living in Brooklyn because either they can't live that far because they got to take care of family or they have a job in Brooklyn. They can't live that far because payments is coming up. So it's like everybody has a different background, you know. I could tell for myself, my mom, she was a single parent for a long time. And it was hard because, you know, either I would have to take care of my brother or I would have to watch what time I come in or 
I would have to, you know, make sure my mom's good. You know, it's a hard life, but when you get an opportunity like something like that, you take it and you push for it and you work hard, you know. And when you're able to sit back and watch and see everything that's open up for you, it's really good feeling, you know. You have such an upbeat attitude. Are there kids in your class who don't have that upbeat attitude? Like they're just they're traveling too far. They're they're angry. They're hungry. Their environment in which they live at home is carried with them to school. I would say maybe like one person or two, but other than that, everybody comes in with a smile on their face because Eliza, can that be true? <laughs> I mean, I'm not, doubt- not that I'm, with... I'm doubting you. Mm-hmm. I just yeah. feel like there might be. I think it more comes out in many, many different ways that that I didn't know to expect before I started working with students. But a lot of times, it will come out in terms of like being disruptive in class, of just kind of needing attention or needing to build that trust with adults. I think it can be very hard. I think we had 30 different students that were living in homeless shelters last year, but. Again, I didn't know which students those were, except for a few stories. And, and for some of those students, you would never know. And for some of them, that came out in very different ways of trying to figure out who they could trust, who they could lean on, how to figure out how to be at school every single day when they have younger siblings that they have to go home, they might be paying rent, they might be doing all of these other things. But I am always so amazed of, of again, how, how little I know about that until I have more conversations with students. That's one thing that I've learned, and I've learned that directly from the students of one time when I was being strict with a student for not following through on something, and they were like, why don't you just ask me what's going on? And I was blown away, and, and that was just last year, so I spent two years not really doing that, and I think I'm still working on that, but coming at things with a sense of compassion rather than a sense of, like, you did this wrong, but rather, like, let's talk about this. How can we help you get through this or get to the next stage? If it's hard for a child to open up to their own parent, it's like, who can you trust at school? Like, and then, like, it's so many things you got to worry about. It's like, you tell the person, like, oh, my situation, and they'll be like, oh, then your house must not be safe or something like that. And you don't want it to come out like I'm living in the worst neighborhood and they take you know, that as something bad, you know. But it's, like, hard to figure out who to trust. And, you know, food and finance, we've, like, they've made that, like, really clear. Like, if you need anything, tell us, like. If you need help with something, you know, I've been there. Like, there's a lot of teachers at the school who either relate or they've been in the same situation. So, like, it's a lot of teachers that helped us out. When I was at the school, I was talking to a student, and we were talking about some of the kids who they choose food and finance because they think they're going to be eating, like, great food. And they're like, well, you get to make and prep good food, but you're not always eating what you make like what's your view Eliza of the hunger situation in in New York City from where you sit in the school one really interesting thing that I learned last year was we had a map of where our students are from and we put that alongside a map of redlining in New York and it is unbelievable of how many of our students come from neighborhoods that were historically redlined. So not only did we do where our students are from with redlining, but it's also like cases of asthma and hunger and finishing high school and just all of these things of the systemic racism of the city. Another wild thing for me is the racial breakdown of our school. We have maybe like three white students, yeah, <laughs> which is not New York City. Honestly, I should not exist as a nonprofit. We should not be a nonprofit that just supports one high school and 85% of our students live below the poverty line. It's a regular public high school. There's no barrier to entry. It's not students in need. That's just the high school population, the public high school population, which 
part of me is like logistically confused of like where's the white community in New York and what schools are they going to and how is it that we got so segregated and food and finance has amazing opportunities but it's also so different from the high school that I went to which was largely white and it's saddening to me and it's shocking to me that that's the discrepancy and that food and finance is not alone in that 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 is the average New York City public high school kind of situation and the school is funded at something like 75% of what it needs. That should never be the case in a city like New York City. It's insane to me that that is possible. And again, like my my job, when we made it, we will go out of business as a nonprofit because we shouldn't exist. We say a lot we exist in the gray area and to some extent, like it can be great to be a nonprofit because I don't have the same kind of reporting standards as the school when things happen and we can do a lot more. But also, honestly, a lot of it, I think the city should be doing or they're, they're expecting a certain level from the schools, but not providing enough for the schools to get to that level, which is where we come in. But again... Ideally, that would be what we're paying for with our tax dollars. Food Education Fund is going to grow in the coming years. Can you tell me about that? Sure. Um, so, so when I got to Food Education Fund, it was just me, and now we are three people. Um, and since then, we, we created a student-run cafe. We created a restaurant where the students are cooking and serving. We created a career day that's the entire school, taking over all of the classes. And those were kind of our big goals. We were kind of like okay, we did it, and we want to keep doing that, but now what? Because we, we are a gigantic team of three. <laughs> we felt like we had the capacity to continue to grow and support more students. Um, and it was kind of funny, we, we knew that, but we sat down with the board, which Dana is on, and we were thinking, we're like, okay, where do we go? Should we go to New Orleans? Should we go to LA? Should we go to Bridgeport? And eventually we realized that on the third floor of the same high school is a school called the High School of Hospitality Management. So we decided to expand to that school, which is really exciting, um, which will be another 400 students. And it has been wild to see the difference between food and finance and High School of Hospitality Management. And it feels kind of like a test case of what happens when you have a nonprofit supporting a high school. So they were actually both charters for the high schools were written by the same person. They were kind of created side by side. They're in the same building. And High School for Hospitality Management currently doesn't have any hospitality programming. They used to, and then the person retired, and they got budget cuts, and they have a culinary class. But there are so many restrictions that I've learned about of, like, to teach hospitality the... It would have to be like a math teacher that happens to have hospitality background doing that as their electives. And they just don't have any other, they don't have the time because so much that's put on high school administrators and teachers, so they don't have the time to be making the connections and following through with that. You can't donate to a high school, so they need a nonprofit to be able to support them. And they just don't have the budget to make it work. So once we kind of learn all of that, we realize how much opportunity there is because the, the students are the same. The students, many of them didn't get into food and finance high school. So it's literally the same students that just didn't have the same opportunities and we are so excited to be able to bring that to them and and hopefully continue to expand from there. So Gabby tell me about the pop-up that you did um, at the cafe because Alexa is saying (laughs) one of the things you do is you have this cafe. Uh, So we did a pop-up it was during the internship class uh, when we had it. They really wanted to like get us into like marketing and like seeing the backside of like if you want to open up your business like it's a lot of things that go into it like the graphic designing of your own logo and like the pricing and looking into researching the community because you can't sell something that's overpriced because then there's another place that they can get it from. So it was a lot of fun and a lot of things to like learn 
that you need to take into if you do want to get into that business side. Our name was 123BLT. It came from our catchphrase because it was like, oh, it's easy as 123BLT. So we did BLTs and we served like these potato chips things. Yeah, we sold that through the whole night and, um, you know, good profit. <laughs> and, you, and you still want to run a business after having done oh, that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's made me more interested. Like, I hope, like okay, this sounds like it's going to be work. But if you know what you're doing, you could really sit back and see, like, all your businesses spread out. So we invest $50 in each business. And so I think they made over $300 yeah. in, in one day. So it's you know, kind of six times that. So they pay back the investment. And then they get to keep everything on top of that, which actually Sir Kensington's doubled. So... At the end of each show, I ask my guests two questions. One, is there a product or service that you think is underhyped? Something that you think is so amazing that everybody needs to know about, but they don't. For me, that would be a bench scraper. So I got that in culinary school, just like a 45 cent piece of plastic. And I think people usually think of it as for pastry to clean the pastry table, but I use it every single time I cook to pick up whatever I'm using and bring it to the pot or the pan. There are so many different uses for a bench scraper, and I think people never think about it in the way that they should. Okay, bench scraper. (laughs) Gabby? I would say like a kitchen mixer. I know a lot of people don't use them. There's some people like stand by like homemade or like I'm wix it like by myself, but like like getting like a KitchenAid really helps you out. Like I didn't get a KitchenAid until like maybe like a year or two ago because um I kept telling my mom I wanted one, but like I kept I kept telling her like no, it's too expensive. Like I'm not going to make you pay that. And she saved up her money and she bought me one for Christmas. It really does help out like and it comes with like all the hooks. You could make pasta from a freaking mixing machine. That is like so cool. And like you can make all the breads and your cakes and stuff like that. And um, a shout out broadly, is there a woman in the world of hospitality or culinary that you admire that you think more people need to know about? So for me, that would be Kat Tavares, who is our program manager at Food Education Fund, both because I think the, the way that she is with students is so unbelievable in terms of kind of exactly that tough love type of thing. If she could get any single student to do anything, but also she will be the first person that they come to to cry to and her story is very similar to a lot of students so she's been able to kind of talk them through how she dealt with a situation and kind of like Gabby was saying of having a person that that went through that exact situation I I know that that is not me and I'm so grateful to have her there but also for me of working together um we were just talking about this of she's Dominican and, and I'm white and the amount that we learn from each other every single day on these small things that we never would have known of and someone outside of your own organization Um, Karina Sosa from Goya. I've been really amazed by the way that she looks out for and stands up for both women and also her community. She's very proudly Mexican and she has been volunteering to do taxes for people in her community and and people that are undocumented or people that have all these different complicated stories and will spend so much time and effort and care on her days off. And it's just such such a fighter and such an inspiration. Gabby? Uh, I'm going to say her hospitality, I'm going to say Miss Eliza's. Um, One, uh, when I first started in freshman year, um, I didn't see any spark in me and I didn't believe that I had 
any impact on anybody. And, you know, Eliza really taught me, like, the difference and importance of connecting with people and showing what you have, even if it's, like, a little story or, like, you know, where you came from or something like that. So um, Eliza's always saw something in me that I didn't see. I'm glad to have somebody like that in my school, so... But it's so obvious, right? <laughs> just look at her. <laughs> um, I think that's just fine. I'm, like, I'm cheering up here again, the, the, the beauty of audio. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for joining me on Speaking Broadly today. I'd loved um, having you. I loved getting a little bit more insight, getting a little deeper dive into one of the students. As Eliza said, I spend time at the high school, and I'm completely devoted to the work that Food Education Fund does. But... Part of it is because the students are so incredible. Um, if anyone wants to go and support Food Education Fund, how would they do that, Eliza? So we're working on a new website, um, but right now our website is foodfinancehs.org, and there's a donate button right on there. That's great. And thank you all for listening. Thank you, Nina, for being my everything, and Amanda for being the engineer today. Have a great week, and we'll be back next week with more stories, more inspiration, and more amazing women. Thank you. Speaking Broadly is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without the support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.